0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are back with another one. My name is James Finch, and if you didn't already know, this is The Finch Show. My guest on the podcast today is Deanna Latino. She is an old friend of mine. We go back in the medical field. We worked on an ortho unit in Rockford, Illinois. Longer than I want to admit it was. But anyway... She's a phenomenal person. Um, She is a nurse. She's done a lot of photography. She's just such an amazing, uplifting, positive person that she was one of those people that when I first started this podcast, I'm like, oh, that's definitely somebody I want to have on sometime because she's just a great, great person to talk to Um, because she's a nurse and a photographer and a mom and all that kind of stuff. It took a while for us to find a time and date that actually worked and actually get that hammered down but we did it, we just finished recording it, I thought it was great, Um, and so therefore I hope you have a lot of fun listening to it. Without further ado, here is Deanna. it just said recording in progress. Did you hear that on your end? I did. I've never heard it say that before. Really? Th- that is so weird. So anyway, everybody knows that we're recording now. So <laughs> <laughs> just, so I'm here with Deanna. Deanna, uh, we've known each other for what, maybe 10 years or so?
1: Yeah, probably like 2012, so almost 10 years. Somewhere in there. Yeah. It
0: was, um, you were, well, when we met, I was still doing the CNA gig and you were a nurse. What, um, what got you into wanting to be a nurse?
1: That's a great question, James. Um, (laughs) I actually started off as a, a massage therapist. I worked, I was kind of, um, moving towards, um, maybe working in physical therapy, um, As you probably know me james i'm very i get bored easily so i think (laughs) nursing in general there's so many things that you can do with nursing um like i worked with you in ortho and then i decided you know i wanted some more intensity so i worked in the icu um worked in the icu for what four years and then i mean during that time i was also doing photography So I kind of like to do bits and pieces of everything. Um, And then I guess that's kind of what drew me to nursing is I do have this care and love for many people. And I like to provide that care and love for many people, but there's so many different ways you can do it. Um, And that's why I think nursing is so awesome is that you could do so many aspects of health care with nursing. And if say you give. of bored or you want to learn something new, you can go into a different um, specialty within nursing. So I think that's what really drew me as well. Um, And now I'm kind of doing more quality nursing. So I work um, basically kind of like informatics, but I am working a lot with quality metrics. I currently work for a cardiothoracic surgeon. So again, there's just so many things that you can do with nursing. Um, And that's why I love it so much.
0: Mm -hmm. You kind of talked over my head. What uh, quality, what, what, what was that?
1: Yeah. So uh, (laughs) I I picked up and I picked up the quality gig um, in nursing. So as a quality nurse, I've done so many aspects um, of quality. Quality is such a big world in healthcare that I think a lot of people don't really um, there's so many aspects of quality in general that people don't see I think when people think of a nurse they think um, patient direct patient care a nurse is um, providing me medications or they're helping me um, with any ADLs so I mean but quality there's a lot more to quality there's a lot of patients with quality so with quality there's a ton of um, like metrics that you have to look at quality metrics and basically there's a lot of tracking trending within that Um, and then you get to see with but like you have to be a nerd like me you like graphs and you like to see what do what do these quality what like what what are the outcomes basically of these quality metrics is there any need for improvement Um, should we is should we maybe look at something different within quality so I mean there's so many things within quality um, in healthcare that I think a lot of people don't see. And that's kind of what my position is
0: now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. what, the, what um, Do you have any uh, ideas of where you want to go nursing-wise after that? Are you already planning the next chess move?
1: That's a great
0: question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I am enrolled um, in my master's degree at St. Anthony College of Nursing um, at, as a clinical nurse leadership. Um, I've been kind of bouncing around, not really sure what my End goal is um, I do love to be educated and I love to grow. And um, so I'm not quite sure where I want to go, to be quite honest. There's so many things I always like to say I'm a jack of all trades, but I'm a master of really nothing. And I think I'm right now, my life goal is to figure out what my master would be, so I I honestly don't know right now, but
0: that's a good question. Do you have any desire to do any kind of like uh, nurse practitioner thing?
1: Yeah, so initially, um, so prior to my, prior to me picking up the quality gig, um, I worked as a director of health services for a long-term care facility. Um, I do have a big passion for the geriatric population And I initially wanted to go into um, becoming a nurse practitioner, but I think um, after getting into quality and seeing what that, the whole world of quality in healthcare was, that really intrigued me. So I think my end goal, if anything, would ultimately be going into like nursing informatics. Um, I think that's where my, I think that's kind of where I'm headed towards right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, that's kind of up in the air. And as you know me, I like to do lots of things and I like to learn many things. Um, I just really do encourage those people, especially if you're not really sure um, what you wanna do in life. I mean, you obviously as a nurse have to love people and care about people, but if you're not really sure what you wanna do in life, I always like to say, maybe just um, look into nursing. I mean, again, there's so many things you could do with the nursing. Like me, I kind of went here and there and I know many of my other colleagues um, have done the same so if there's always work with nurses and again you can always do the nerdy computer stuff like I do right now or you can do direct patient care and provide um, provide your work in that sense I guess so
0: mm-hmm. well it's absolutely true it's been interesting that it's been, gosh, how many years now that you and I worked in ortho and yeah, we had so many great people who worked on that unit at that time and yeah. still being friends with all those people on social media and kind of watching their careers, you know, where they've gone into and where they've gone, you know, it was like at one point in time, we were all in an ortho and then some have gone cardiac, some have gone ICU, some have gone emergency. Absolutely. It's, it's, it, that is 100% true of nursing. And I have to say that <clears throat> geriatrics is like, that's a rough racket. And it needs like, I firmly believe all the help it can get right now.
1: Um, I 100% agree.
0: Early in my CNA days, that's uh, that's where I work. That's where me and my wife met. We were both CNAs in a long-term care facility. And believe me, I could launch into like a whole nother podcast about like how poorly these things are funded by the state and the I- feds. It's atrocious. Like beyond, I forget which philosopher once said that you can always judge a society by how they treat their elders. And
1: Boy, as a country,
0: we kind of stink at that, that's for sure.
1: Right. And I honestly, James, I kind of wanted to add on to that because that is something I've always been passionate about um, and something that I always had a big concern about. Um, Just because of my work with the geriatric population, um, there's always a nursing shortage, right? I mean, in the hospitals, we're seeing that nationwide, um, especially during COVID, but the geriatric population, it really breaks my heart because, I mean, we have st- state regulations for, I mean, ch- child care for, for, there's a certain a number of um, health care providers for, or like, um, health care providers for, like, children um, when you go take them to daycare. But then you don't really have, especially in assisted living where the regulations are so vague. They don't really have a specific number of nursing staff that you need. And I mean, that never really made sense to me because we, if we had, not to compare geriatrics with like children when you take them to daycare, but it's just, you know, I feel like there does need, needs to be more that geriatric care needs to be addressed maybe a little bit further. Um, again, there's a huge growing population of adults becoming going into the geriatric route. I mean, we're all growing, and we're all going to be there one day. And I just, it's just, it just saddens me because I feel like there needs to be more attention to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad you brought that up because that is something I'm very passionate about and something I do want to see in the future. How? Again, we need more nurses. So <laughs> anybody out there <laughs> wants to become a nurse, I Absolutely think that's something you should look into. Again, you have to love people and you have to care about people. So, um, because nursing in general, I mean, think about it, you have to give absolutely everything of yourself, mentally, physically, emotionally, absolutely everything to your patients. And so there's a lot of also filling up your own cup, I guess, lack of better terms. I mean, you need to really figure out how to um care for others. First of all, you got to care for yourself as well. So, I mean, there's a lot, a lot to think about too, I guess, with going into nursing, but absolutely, James, I don't mean to go off, but that is something I'm very passionate about. So,
0: well, me too. And it was, you know, to me, it was always frustrating working in a long-term care home. And I I fully understand the facilities had like budget constraints. That was the biggest problem. So therefore, it was always this attempt to get by with the fewest amount of staff as possible. And how you can expect on like a third shift to have three CNAs on a unit with 40, 50 some patients who all need help going to the bathroom, who all need help getting cleaned. And, you know, I don't know how many CNAs did it, but I would always sort of remark to myself when you're standing in someone's room and you would see the pictures that were up there and you would see this, you know, picture of this guy in his World War II uniform and him with his you know shipmates you know when they were getting mustered out of the service and you know then pictures of them in the 70s with their children and on and on and on and now it's this you know become as time marches on this now you know 90 year old man who's sitting in a chair who's just looks like he's just completely resigned to his fate and unfortunately at times filthy um covered in bed sores because people aren't taking care of him because when you or in this position where you have that much work and so little help that you're staffing, that just like bleeds the empathy away from people. Then it right. just becomes, how do I get through this shift? How do I get out of here? And the fact that we're treating people like that and that you could have people who have such great lives, had such proud lives, and they're gonna spend the last of their years in that kind of situation, I think is just like irreprehensible. It drives me insane even thinking about it.
1: Right, absolutely. I mean, and I think too, as as a nurse, Um, and you're going into work, I mean, many people, they don't understand that, or they don't see that side of them. They see them as, okay, you're kind of, you're a patient, I have tasks to accomplish, and not looking at them as a whole person. So, I mean, that's definitely a great point too, James, because, I mean, they have their own story, and we're there to help them um, and give them the best quality of life that they can have, So, I mean, that's definitely true. And I think, too, kind of just going into that, I mean, healthcare leadership, and I don't mean to, I just, I think that's also a big factor of um, how can we keep maybe nursing staff in place? And a lot of that has to do with, um, I mean, healthcare leadership. I mean, there's so many things you have to Keep in fact, there's the there's the financial aspect aspect to long term care. I mean, we're trying to we're trying to keep the financial component in te- in in place. But then you also have the nursing side as well, which that's the whole purpose and reason why these um, residents or patients come to long term care is because they want to have a good care. They want to have good nursing care. They want to have great quality of life. So something that I've also been very passionate about on top of that is how do we keep these nursing, nursing staff in a facility? How do we keep them? Because again, they have to, they have to pour out their entire selves to these, these patients, these residents. And that's something that I think as well, um, I find in healthcare leadership that maybe tends to um, struggle a bit is there's still this healthcare nursing mentality. I think it's kind of transitioning into something new where it's you see a lot of the older um, experienced nurses kind of eating their young and it's very rough and gruff. Um, we live in a society now where it's very visual. So we have all these new nursing CNAs, these nursing staff where they are also being very educated on um, leading others by serving them and helping them. So when they come in, I guess they get kind of intimidated. And I think that's something that I've seen a lot working um, at some of the previous facilities I have was you see a lot of these very energetic new nurses and um, CNAs that come in and they have to kind of be trained by a lot of these um, maybe tired and overworked (laughs) nurses who just come off like they just don't really want to be there. They don't care. And it's, it's, it's a shame. So I think as a healthcare leader, um, one of the things I really learned um, taking that role was um, basically leading by example. I know it sounds kind of cliche, right? But it's really true because again, we live in a society where it's very visual and you can say and do, you can say whatever you want, but if, if we don't see nowadays, like we don't see somebody actually caring, it it really does make us wonder and think like, well, what's the point of me being here if nobody else cares? So I guess one of the things that I also really encourage um, nurses if they are looking into leadership is is there's healthcare leadership and I feel like there's business bosses. And I think people mix up leadership and a boss and they don't really understand the difference and I feel leadership is very much not a hierarchy but more of a line of of you know of getting at it and caring for others or doing anything within healthcare as a team versus I'm telling you to do this so you better do it or else you're going to get written up and I think that was something too there's there's I like to practice um, transformational leadership. There's so many different types of leadership styles. And I think it can work for, depending on whatever leadership role you're in, but when you're in healthcare in in particular, especially when you're leading a group of nursing staff, transformational leadership is something that I really think um, if anybody's out there listening that really wants to get into leadership in nursing, that's transformational leadership is something that, really should be explored in practice because I kind of walked in, I felt like in um, the facility I worked in where they were very much not happy with certain things that were going on. Great team, wonderful, like just, they are so strong in their nursing skills, but when you have a staff that's so unhappy, ignoring the problems, I guess, is not going to basically solve anything. You're just I always like to use the analogy. You don't want to keep um, sweeping things underneath the rug because that dirt is eventually going to pile up. And just like we treat pain, if you treat pain early, the less pain medications you have to get. So I always like to attack things maybe early on so that you don't have to attack something um, significantly. It's going to be a lot more minor than it would be minor compared to when you were to if you were going to wait for a problem to just to continue to grow so i apologize for for rambling off james but that is something that i really wanted to point out especially if anybody out there is listening and looking into um, leadership in nursing or healthcare, really explore the transformational leadership i mean leadership in general is not not easy and i think people think that they think oh this person is just sitting in a in the office they're not really helping out i mean that's absolutely not true. I mean, at least not for me. Um, You really, there's a lot that goes into leadership in in healthcare. And I give a lot of those people that are in that position a lot of credit because there's a lot of scrutiny. I think Um, you get a lot of the focus and you get a lot of criticism, but um, there's just a lot to give. I mean, in healthcare in general. So I just, I just wanted to say that. So
0: you are are 100% correct. It gets confused, as you said all the time. The difference between boss and leader are two completely different things, Absolutely. 100%. And anybody who's listening to this, you can think back through past jobs you had of prior bosses that you had, and you can easily, very quickly in your mind, pick up which ones were just bosses and which ones were leaders. Right, Leaders isn't easy. A lot of people, leaders, that's just some of that's a learned ability. I think some of it is just natural. Like that's just, and I think unfortunately we end up in these people who end up promoted into positions because of the knowledge of their job versus their ability to be a good leader. And that makes all the difference in the world. You know, that was one of the biggest problems I had Where one of the long-term facilities that I was working at is that, you know, you were short-staffed, you were always sore because you were running your rear end off. Um, and on top of it, the management style at the facility was we catch you doing one little thing, we're going to bring you in the office and you're going to get chewed out for it. You never got a, Hey, good job. Hey, thanks for, you know, Hey, let me help you with that. Is there anything I can do for you? It was just, you constantly felt like you were under this threat of getting called into the office and getting a letter in your file or something while you were just trying to bust your butt and do your job and the overall attitude that then permeates the entire facility it's right. reflective in every single worker. And, and, you know, I, and you and I have seen it before. I, I used to get a kick out of it when the young CNAs and nurses would come in and they were all full of Vic and vigor and pep and ready to go. Personally, uh-huh. personally it got me excited. You know, uh, we're both friends with Haley. Haley was the one who cracked oh, me I the most. You. Like she was just, she was ready to take the she, bull by the horns and conquer the work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she still does. I haven't talked to her in a while. Um, but yeah. And it's unfortunate. Like when someone comes in and they're like that passionate and that excited about what they're doing. And they unfortunately end up walking into a unit or an, uh, a situation where things are very, I should say ground down to the nub. And yeah. it, it's really unfortunate because you see people just lose that. Like it just gets sapped right out of them, all that enthusiasm and everything, because, you know, people, unfortunately kind of semi conform to the environment that we're in. You know, and so right. when, when you have a situation like that, where you have a boss running the place, not a leader, every, the morale is in the toilet, you know, right. any new fresh blood that comes in, man, that enthusiasm is just going to get squashed. And that really, really stinks.
1: Definitely. And I, I think working with you, James, and working with Jonathan, um, swag if you're out there, <laughs> um, Haley. Oh my gosh, but I love Haley, and I don't know. Judy really was somebody. Judy Carter. She was definitely somebody that I really felt like molded me um, into the nurse that I am. She really encouraged me a lot as a nurse. Um, really made me feel like I can do anything. Um, I don't know. It's just that whole ortho team. When we worked when we worked there. It was it was it was amazing. I was probably the one of the best teams i've ever worked for so i miss those days honestly yeah, those, do, those are good times <laughs> i'll never forget chase when you were on the phone and you acted like you're a doctor do you remember yeah. that you yes.
0: called me
1: and you acted like one of the neurosurgeons yes. and i was so scared yes because I was a nurse you were like... all
0: nervous about some decision you had made and you were worried the doctor was going to be mad at you so i went in the back and got on the phone and called you <laughs>
1: oh my gosh i just remember that was so funny yeah we had some good times there it I thought you were, awesome.
0: I, th- I thought you were gonna bring up me hanging your hello hello kitty oh, thing yeah, from the ceiling
1: too but my,
0: my daughter was just talking about that the other day because she saw a picture of and she goes what were you doing and I'm like being a co-worker <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that was so fun yeah it was no Ju- oh man Judy was the best I mean I'm sure okay. she still is I'm you know she's not yeah. gone but she was like um she was knowledgeable. She had all the experience in the world. She was always trying to have fun and she accepted zero bullshit. Like that was like the perfect, perfect charge nurse you could have.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Judy, Oh my gosh. She's one of the nurses that really did impact who I am today. And I just, I looked at her and I'm like, you know, she's been a nurse for how many years and look at her attitude. I mean, she just came into work She was just ready to get up, get at it, and she was just so good to the newer nurses and the new CNAs. I'm like, gosh, Judy, if there's any one nurse I could be like, you would be definitely one of them. So I don't know. I just I love that woman.
0: (laughs) I always I always loved how experienced she was and how knowledgeable she was. And when she finally decided that she was going to take the plunge and get on Facebook. And the very oh. first post she ever made on Facebook was, "How do I log out?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. That's awesome. It <laughs> that
0: was so great. I think I was at home and I laughed so hard for so long. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was. A, that was an example of a really great unit. Of just everybody was there, and you know, just like we were saying earlier, because of the fact that Judy was there, it, you know, it was an attitude reflects leadership thing everybody had that attitude that she had and had she been like some mean Corella Duville kind of angry, better person, I, we would never have, we wouldn't have near as much fun on that unit as we did.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's also her, I mean, she, again, I mean, that's a good point, James, is she was kind of, she was def, a definition of like healthcare leadership because she helped like leadership in general. I mean, there's like a, there's a domino effect to it. If you like really think about it, if, you have somebody that's strong and that positive. There's going to be more strong and positive people under them. So, I mean, that's a really good point, point. Um, and I 100% agree. She is a great example of leadership in healthcare. So, yeah, that's awesome.
0: Man, I got. <laughs> I feel like I got to reach out to her now and say hi. It's been so long, you know.
1: I'm going to also. <laughs>
0: We'll just have, we'll just have to plan like a One South reunion, you know?
1: Oh gosh, that'd be, that would be wonderful.
0: It would. Of course, many because, yeah, no, I was thinking some of the people have moved away, but some of the people who have moved away, have since moved back. So it might be possible. I'm going to have to get on the horn on that one.
1: I can't remember where Haley moved. I think she moved out of state.
0: I don't know, Kelsey did, but she just recently moved back.
1: Oh yeah, Kelsey. She hooked in Nuro for a while.
0: yeah and I think yeah, she I was in she was in Arizona for a while but I think they just her and her husband just moved back to like the Byron area I think
1: oh yeah I, don't, I honestly don't know whatever happened to Kelsey I have to like snoop on social media to figure that They're out creeping
0: yeah, <laughs> so yeah. um, other than the nursing thing I, the one thing that I thought was really really awesome about you is years ago you got into photography sure. and Got got into doing that and I'm not just you know trying to blow smoke here but I, I've always thought obviously extremely talented you know I remember taking photography classes in high school and one of the things my photography teacher said is that you can learn everything in the world about different kinds of lenses and different kind of backdrops and different kind of cameras the one thing you can't learn is just having an eye for photography like that's one of those you either have it or you don't and I yeah. I remember like when we were working together on the unit and you would come in and you know during our little bit of downtime at the nurse's station you'd be going through some of the photography you've done and I remember looking at it and thinking right away like oh my god she's got the eye for it like 100% like there was no doubt you know there wasn't like a learning curve like oh I tried this and this angle I'm like no it was like right off the bat like boom it was yes. right there i've got pictures that i'm looking at right now that are hanging on my living room all of my children that you've done so oh, <laughs> clearly i'm clearly i'm not just talking but anyway <laughs> back to the point of it What was it that made you get interested in that to begin with?
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, really, when I got out of nursing school, when I soon, shortly after started nursing, I found myself, you know, like, what am I going to do with myself? Like, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, So, I mean, prior to that, I had pictures done by another local photographer and immediately what drawn me to the picture was not seeing pictures of myself, but seeing the quality of the pictures the high resolution picture. So that really intrigued me um, into looking into photography myself. I wanted to learn photography um, for, I mean, taking pictures of my future children. I didn't have any at that time. So I never once claimed to be a professional photographer, which is so funny because everybody looks at me they're like, oh my gosh, you're a professional photographer. And I'm like, um, I don't like to claim myself as that because I don't know absolutely every single technical thing with my camera or even my lens or even editing. (laughs) I think there's a lot to photography that people simply just don't recognize or they they, um, not belittle, but they just don't understand. And um, I basically picked up photography, honestly, using YouTube. YouTube educated me a lot. Um, I really wanted to pick it up. I really wanted to learn it. And honestly, um, I just went to Walmart. I got the uh, a clearance um, Canon, a DSLR can. I don't even remember what kind it was. I think it was like an EOS. I cannot honestly can't remember. It was an older older camera, and I just picked it up because I wanted to learn it. And my gosh, there's so many buttons within a camera that when I started up, I was a little overwhelmed. I was like, what is this? I don't understand it. So I pulled actually a lot of my nursing friends to model for me to kind of learn. And um, that, that basically grew my photography business. So kind of going back to me not claiming to be a, uh, a professional photographer, I I like to say I'm a really, really good mom, photo- mom photographer. Like, I love taking pictures of children. I, um, I love taking pictures of families, newborns. So I basically just grew my photography business and it's more or less more of a side gig for me. Um, I could have pursued it more full-time, but again, nursing is more of my passion. Um, So anyways, I picked picked up, I just wanted to make a point too. If you ever, if you have a dream in photography, if you ever wanna pursue photography, please, don't give it up, but also know it's not as easy as it as it sounds. It's not a simple click, 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 and uh, simple go on. It's not like editing, like with Instagram, with a filter with Instagram. There's so I use Lightroom right now, um, and I now have a can. I, I now have a Canon Five D Three. So I mean, I there's photography equipment is so expensive too, and I think people don't understand that when I do charge for sessions, they're like, oh, Deanna, she's just banking it up. Like she's just taking a half hour session and, you know, she's making this amount of money when really, if you break it down on how, how much time it takes to edit or how much the equipment is, I mean, you break it down and there was like one, one month where I realistically was only making like $5 an hour, if you really broke it down. So There's a lot to photographers that people don't see and I really feel that photographers in general locally aren't um, respected as much as they should be. I mean, I'm a nurse, nursing professions, you get a lot of respect right. You go into photography, photography realm and I was finding out very quickly that photographers don't really get respect the respect that I feel that they deserve, because they're really capturing those moments for you and and they're spending not just that half hour hour session clicking their camera there is hours of editing that is spent there's um tons of money that's spent on photography equipment and I really really wish that people did see that side but again I mean you don't really understand it until you're in it and I just really want, I just really, I wish people can just see that more. And I really do respect many of the photographers in our area, because I think in Rockford too, we don't live in a community where people are going to spend like thousands of dollars in pictures like they do in New York or any of these other big cities. So they're always looking for photographers that have the best price, but really you got to look at their quality of work too. Um, explore their style because there's been many times too where I would have a client where they would want more of like the airy light feel, which I can provide, but my style is a little bit more moody. Um, I, I tend to go into I, I like to go in more of the moody style. So really explore don't don't go into um don't look for a photographer that is for their price basically look at their style. See what what, what style do they, um, do they like to give in their pictures um, and look at their quality of work as well. So, I mean, that's kind of um, my thoughts on photography. I mean, I love, I love, love, love photography. Um, it's definitely something that I enjoy doing um, and it's really been great because I am able to capture my children grow and that's something that I really want to, to provide as well for other families to continue to capture their children grow. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's kind of one of the reasons why that I really (laughs) wanted to get into photography. So yeah. You picked up photography as well too, James, didn't you, for a while?
0: Well, yes and no. For me, it's just kind of been a fun thing in, you know, it's right now though, it's great because I'm old enough that in my day, when I took photography classes in high school, we were still dealing with dark rooms and we're oh still God. dealing with developing the film, and that to some people today, that sounds like more romantic, and more technical, let me tell you, it sucked, because there was nothing <laughs> worse than when you would get your camera, and you know, I would, because a lot of what I enjoyed doing was like nature photography, and landscape photography, and you'd yeah. go, and like, you you would like time it, like, you know, Four forty-five. 45 the sun's going to be in the exact spot and you'd get out there and you would take all these pictures and then the next day you'd take them into the dark room and develop them all and realize they were blurry because one of your settings wasn't right on your camera right. or you accidentally overexposed it and there's nothing you can do about it and now that entire time you spent is lost now with digital like you can yeah. click and know right away right, right. away you yeah yeah and that's, that's fun. That's, you know, it makes life so much more easier. I was
1: For sure. And I'll, I'll admit,
0: my yeah. And I'll admit I was semi depressed when it was a couple of years after I graduated high school. And I stopped by the high school to see my old photography teacher and where the darkroom had been was completely ripped down, was replaced with a bank of Aww. computers. And I was kind of like, oh man, I spent so many hours in there crying and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Why? yeah why did this happen that's one of the worst you'd have to like take the film and put it in this little black bag with hands just you know with slots just for your hands and pop it open and pull the film out and put it into this thing because if the film saw any light at all it was ruined you know and we would have they'd they'd have us pair up with another student and do these photography projects and I had this guy like who was just an idiot he was only there he thought he was in (laughs) photography for the easy credits and I told him I said dude don't worry about it like I'll go out this weekend. I'll take all the pictures. You just get in the back seat and you'll get an A on yeah. this project. Don't worry about it. And I went out that weekend, shot a bunch of I, you know, shot a whole roll of film. Coming to class on Monday and he grabs it off the corner of my desk. He's like, "Oh, thanks, man. Is this it?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "All right. Well, I've got to help somebody." Pops the top of him and just pulls the film out, which instantly like,
1: oh no, it's gone.
0: It's it, and we oh, all he no. can do is stare at him like, oh dude,
1: get out get out we don't want your we don't want you
0: here (laughs) (laughs) don't you have somebody to go hit or something you know go be a job
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh that's terrible yeah i mean i never got into the whole dark room i mean i've always been digital and gosh editing pictures i mean also if you're a photographer try to shoot in raw because if you do overexpose or underexpose anything there you can always save it so that's something that i learned um as a photographer. I mean, and that's the thing with the darkroom, you can't really, you can't save it. Like you can pictures now where you can just use all the digital and use um, all these editing softwares to make the picture the way you want it to be. So definitely, Mm -hmm. gosh.
0: (laughs) The, um, you know, and it's going back to what you were saying earlier, I think that it becomes one of those, just like you said, because people don't have experience they don't see all that goes in it's sort of like would you judge the Mona Lisa only on the cost of paint that it took to paint that thing you know what I mean
1: right, right. you're like
0: oh so Leonardo da Vinci went and bought a couple things of paint and painted this thing and I'm supposed to care you know but yeah. when you look at the final product and that's what I think like when I look at photography and I look at the finished print and you Absolutely. think about how much it cost it's like well how much experience how much Equipment, how much knowledge, and then just like you said, editing had to go into creating that finished product. So at the end of the day, that's what you're paying for is the finished product. And I think that's worth more than anything. I would rather pay $300 for something absolutely phenomenal rather than 150 for something that's eh, okay. Yeah, you know, absolutely. yeah,
1: that's that's 100%. Like I agree with that completely. Um, and I don't know, I again, that's just something that. I think that um, photographers don't get a lot of credit for because I mean it just there is a lot of time that takes into um, processing of a, a photo and creating um, something that really represents the not just the photographer but capturing that family and the emotion within the family as well. So I mean just again you're looking into photography, it's a great gig. It, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot more to it than people really understand or realize and if you do see a photographer give them more credit because I mean they they go through so many things that people don't see and I don't feel like they don't get enough credit for what they do so I mean there's a ton of photographers um, in our area that are awesome um I I always like to say there I mean sometimes you feel like photographers kind of have this competition with one another right because it's a business and they want to have all these clients and they want to they want to make all the money but I do hope that photographers if you're listening out there that you do support each other as well because I mean god forbid you're unable to take pictures for somebody one day and you refer another one of your photographer friends I mean, that may come back to you as well. One day you may, you may get a referral from that friend. So I had some experiences with some photographers that were very competitive and very, um, I don't know. I don't want that. were very, um, um, not petty. Well, they're kind of petty. Like they, they felt like, Oh, they're, they're starting their business up. So that's my competition. And don't think like that, you know, I mean, I think, think more of like, okay, this is kind of somebody that has a lot of same interests as me, like, encourage them, encourage growth, you're still going to have clients there, I mean, just, I just really hope as well, like nurses, I feel nurses are a lot better with supporting one another, I I would love to see that with the photography community, and I think Mm -hmm. it's starting to get there, I really do. Um, but there's still some of that, like, oh, I'm better than you, or, oh, this person doesn't <laughs> shoot right, or, oh, gosh, like, don't be like that, or, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, there's
0: no there's no shortage of clients, like, everybody loves good photography, there's Correct. plenty of clients out there, Correct. you know, be a community, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that I've found that's been really enjoyable about the podcast racket when I, that I didn't realize when I got into it, is just, how uncompetitive it is for how oversaturated the market is like everybody and their brother has a podcast like if you're doing a podcast you're not special i had to laugh so hard when <laughs> if everybody out there remembers bob saget from full house yeah and i was listening to a podcast that he was on and bob Cass recent bob saget recently started his own podcast <clears throat> and he was talking about how like, everybody's got a podcast <laughs> now it was yeah. like, you know, this guy's got a podcast. And he said, hell, I think my UPS driver has a podcast now. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so sad. And yet we're just, you know, I've had people who have podcasts that I've met just from listening to their podcasts, who I've invited them to come on mine and, and vice versa. And it's just kind of like, yeah, we're just, I mean, we just generally just do this because we like hearing ourselves talk. That's the only reason we do it. You know, unless you're Joe Rogan, you're not going to get famous doing it. So
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's awesome.
0: I wanted to ask you, um, how is, how is Bink doing?
1: Sure. Um, So yeah, I mean, many of my friends out there, social media followers may know um, Bink was born with, um, she's doing awesome right now. So there was a lot of concerns when Bink was born. So Bianca was born with basically a birthmark that was covering the entire side of the, her left side of her face over her head. so basically, um, she had a birthmark when she was born. I honestly thought it was just a bruise. I was like, okay, she must've just had some trauma when, during the delivery, nothing, no concern with that. But then once we, once the day after we had a pediatrician come into the room and I noticed that her and another nurse were kind of whispering each other in the other side. And I was still very naive to thinking, oh, this is just a bruise. Like, oh, no big deal. But then the pediatrician basically broke the news to us that they don't think it's a bruise. They think it's a, actually, it's a birthmark. Um, didn't say much about it at the time. Basically just informed us to watch watch her. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing you should never do is, I guess, but for my case, it was a good thing. We actually Googled it and Googled all the complications that come with A port wine stain birthmark. And just for others, for people to understand what it is, it's a very rare condition, but she, it's a capillary malformation. Um, So there was a gene mutation that occurred um, in utero um, or during conception, basically, and caused this huge um, birthmark, which is basically capillaries filling up and it's not emptying correctly. So this is a lifelong issue that she's going to have. Um, so long story short, basically, um, we had, we saw a dermatologist got some of the treatments done for her skin, but unfortunately this birthmark, it's a vascular malformation. It affected her brain and her left eye, actually both eyes. They, we found out recently that both eyes are now affected. So what that means is the left side of her brain, um, is atrophy. So it's a lot smaller than her right side. And a lot of it is because there's a lot more vascularity to the left side of the brain. And if you understand the anatomy of the brain, it's, it's symmetrical, right? So the left side of the brain is a lot smaller. So left side of the brain controls a lot of her, um, speech. Um, so she does have some developmental delays. Um, and then it also, the vascularity affects her eyes. So she has glaucoma. So we do see an ophthalmology for that. So she does see um, a lot of wonderful specialties in UW, Um, love that team, Um, and she's doing awesome right now. And a lot of it is because we were very proactive in trying to figure out what was going on and um, treating it early on. Um, I did start a Facebook page, basically uh, like a blog of what's kind of going on. And initially I started that blog because I'm friends with a lot of nurses and I have a ton of family. They kept asking me some of the same questions and I wanted them to understand what was going on and what this is because again, it's a very rare um, disease. Um, And I started this page, Tiny But Mighty Bink. If you'd like to follow her her page um, and see what everything she's been through. Basically I started this, this page to educate my family, what was going on. And honestly, it grew into something bigger. So um, internationally, we've had some journalists come to us because again, this is a rare condition and they see all the treatments that she has to endure. And we had some journalists from Europe come and interview her. So she has been on some magazines um, and some news casting in, in Europe. Um, and it's been amazing to see how um, we can really kind of influence and encourage other parents that have children born with this condition, because a lot of people don't also don't see that I have people and parents messaging me all the time on that page. So I try to provide them some support. I don't give them any medical advice, but I do give them some direction on where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things Brand said about Babe when she was born and when I was in like postpartum and crying about. All the possibilities like he said to me he's like Deanna you know I really think Bing's going to change the world and already at three years old now she's doing fantastic um she literally has changed a lot of changed the world for many others and really encouraged people because a lot of people have some um they're hesitant on getting the pulse dye laser treatment and if you go down my page you'll see It looks pretty brutal because she has a ton of red dots it's basically it looks like burn marks um but basically what that treatment is doing is kind of trying to stop like cauterize i guess you can look at it that way the bleeding and trying to wire them to uh, basically fill and empty correctly unfortunately this is going to be a lifelong um, um treatment that she'll need to have until technology advances but um I just, I don't know, that girl, she is, she is so strong. She, like, her name is so true. She is tiny, but she is such, she is so mighty, and I'm so proud of her. Um, So, I mean, again, I just, I just really like to educate people as well about her condition. And it not only educated people, but I really felt like it encouraged people as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that up, James.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's, I just think it's incredible, because I've been following it since the beginning. And yeah. um, for everything that she has been through, and everything she continues to be go through, I, I still find it incredible that every time you post a picture of her on social media, she's got a huge smile on her face.
1: She does. You oh, know, my.
0: and that is amazing. And like, if that is an uplifting in and of itself, like you know, and then I kind of feel like an idiot. Like here I come home from work. And I'm like, Oh God, work sucks. And, today, <laughs> and then I see the picture of this little girl who's been through absolute hell in three years with a huge smile on her face. And I'm like, Oh God, James. <laughs> Suck it up, man. Come on. <laughs> you know, <laughs>
1: she's so happy. She's so funny. Oh my gosh, her personality, like her between Delilah, they're so different. It's just, it's funny just watching those two interact and Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm proud of both of them. Obviously I'm the parent of the both. I'm just so proud of them both. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just amazing seeing how this all turned out. And I just, I just love, I don't know. I just love seeing people just being encouraged. Like I, you know, me, James, I like to be the encourager. I like to be the uplifter. So I try to take situations that were very negative in my life. And I try to turn it into something positive, and I don't try, I feel like it really did turn out into something positive. So, I mean, there's still concerns for her because with that condition, she is at risk for having strokes. Um, Her seizures are contained for now, but the strokes are what concern me because what happens is um, her brain can could, I'm knocking on wood here, folks, could um, calcify um, and can cause some stroke. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of concerns for her, but we try to focus on where she's at now. Um, we're so proud of her. And we just hope that she does well in life. I mean, there's still a lot of unknowns with her. And I'm one of those people where I like to know where my life is going. And so, the, I mean, that was tough for me as well. Cause I mean, the unknowns is always scary, but.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I'll say this: she's fortunate that if she was going to go through all this, that she has you and Brandon as parents, you know, because you guys are just absolutely loving and energetic and positive and intelligent people that that's there can't be like better parents to have if you're going to have to deal with a situation like that. And I wish her nothing but the best. And hopefully the entire like medical field as a whole learns a lot from her case as well. So that in the future, you know, cause we, we hear those stories of like, you know, we have a, you know, a condition or an illness or a disease. Now that's a trip to the doctor and a prescription, whereas a hundred years ago, they didn't know why it was doing that. And right. it was like a lifelong struggle for people. And, and so hopefully that a lot of knowledge comes from this as well. That would be, that would be phenomenal.
1: Right. Definitely. I a hundred percent agree. And that's kind of what it ended up being. So I, I'm so proud of that and I'm just so proud of her. So thank you for asking about her. She's doing awesome.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we are, uh, we are up against the clock. Um, I want to thank you so very much for taking time out of your morning to come on the podcast. Um, I'm sure. going to get on that one South reunion thing. And I absolutely <laughs> and I absolutely guarantee that you will, uh, you will hear from me in the future.
1: Yes. Awesome, James. Thank
0: you so much. You, this you is bet.
1: This
0: Take care now.
1: You too. Bye.
0: All right. So that was it. That was the podcast with Deanna Latino. That was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. I am going to get out of here. Um, but if you're enjoying the podcast, which I sincerely hope you are, uh, if you could do me a favor, please like, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell them to tell a friend. All that fun stuff. It helps big time. And I other than that I just wanna say hey, I love all of you, take care of each other and we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.